We've been studying the book of Acts, and today we come to its conclusion. I'll be reading several verses in chapter 28. They'll be on the screen. Uh, the title of the message is, This is Not the End, It is Only the Beginning. Let me tell you why we've got that particular message. Uh, the reason for that is because Acts ends without tying up all the loose ends. Have you ever been watching a series on TV and that it ends with a cliffhanger and then the network cancels it? And you never know how it's going to end. Well, here we're told in Acts 23 that Paul, you're going to stand before Caesar and give testimony. And we've got him waiting on Caesar and the book ends. He, does, he never gets to stand before him like we were told. Now, now, I believe that in the providence of God, that's the way the book is supposed to end because it has a message for us. The message is the book of Acts is not over. It starts off in Acts 1-8. You go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. We see them going from, from Jerusalem to Rome in the book of Acts. But there's a lot of more uttermost parts of the earth that are still left. But not only that, there's a task for all of us. Each generation must reach the next generation. If we don't, nations like ours are quickly going from missionary senders to mission field. In 1984, I attended... Uh, for, uh, in preparation for Billy Graham returning to London, uh, a, a briefing from the Billy Graham Association, they talked about how they had hired Gallup to do polling of London in 1984. This is the city that has had Martin Lloyd-Jones and Spurgeon and great preachers and churches. And in 1984, they found out that only one half of 1% of London's population attended church at all, and only one-third had ever held a Bible in their hands. I believe soon they're going to be able to poll us if we don't do a better job in winning the generations that are coming. They're going to find that true of us. So we've got to keep on going. The book of Acts, it's not over. The book of Acts is still ongoing. It's, after all, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Paul and Peter were secondary characters. You and I are secondary characters. It's the Holy Spirit who's moving. With that said, let's pick up some of the verses we'll look at today. Chapter 28, verse 15. Now the brothers and sisters from there had heard the news about us and had come to meet us as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Now, let me explain what's happened. Paul has been for three years a prisoner. Two years of that time, he was stuck in the dungeon at the palace at Caesarea by the sea. Nobody could go and see him. It was, it was a tough time. For the last year, he's been on his way to Rome, ended up with a shipwreck, took a lot longer than they expected. Now, this is the day and time before you can text somebody and say, I'll be here on Thursday. But don't you know that Paul probably thought to himself, I've been out of circulation three years. They, may, they might, may not even remember me. And he didn't know when he got to Rome if anybody would be there or even anybody would know who he is and why he's there. And don't you know it was so encouraging. Before they got to Rome on the road, on the outskirts, Christians had gone from Rome to be there to walk with him the last few miles of his journey. And it said he thanked God. That gave him so much encouragement because the Christians in Rome just showed up. And they stood by him. Can I talk to you as a pastor with this church? One of the things I hope is the DNA of our church is this. I hope we're a church where people just show up, where we stand by each other, where, where we are there. When you're in need, we are there. Um, this past week, I was visiting someone in the hospital, 
And they were telling me how wonderful their Sunday school class has been and standing by them as they've gone through this trial. I, that just thrills my heart. As a ministerial staff, we're committed to, we call it high touch. We, we want to be there. We want to be in the hospitals. We, we, we want to be at your home when, when the hard times happen. We're committed to being there, standing by you. That's one of the duties that we Christians have is to stand by each other. World War I was a horrible war. It went into a stalemate for four years where they simply dug trenches and they had, the artillery had outgunned their strategy. So periodically they'd send a wave of young men over the top, they called it, and they would be mowed down by the machine guns and then they would come crawling back, the one who survived, and then the other side would send a group over the top and they'd gun them down and there'd be periodic truces where you can go and get your dead bodies out of the middle of the field. But that's when it went on for four years. Well, there was a young American who was in the trench with his best friend growing up. They were soldiers together. And they were ordered to go over the top. And so they went. They were pushed back by the machine gun fire. When this friend came back, his friend hadn't made it. He wasn't there. He said, Sarge, I've got to go find him. The Sarge said, don't do it. You're disobeying my orders. You'll die if you go out there. And he went anyway. And a few minutes later, he came back holding the dead body of his best friend. And the Sarge looked at him and said, see, I told you you shouldn't go. You risked your life for nothing. He said, no, no, no. When I got there, he was still alive. And he looked up at me and he said, I knew you'd come. So that's what Paul did. He had, he had friends that came and, 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 and it made his heart be lifted up because they showed up. Well, let's go on now with the next set of verses. When he got there, it said he had... Free, freedom to see people. He was able to live under house arrest and invite guests in. He couldn't walk the streets, but he could invite guests in. So what he did, every time he went to a new town, the first people he shared the gospel with were always the Jews. So he invited the Jewish leaders to come so he could explain the gospel. And they did what they did in every town. Most of them rejected the gospel. So he's giving them a conclusion where he reads from Isaiah. So these first few verses are a quote from Isaiah. For the hearts of these people has grown callous. Their ears are hard of hearing. They have shut their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. And then he ends with these words of his own. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. They will listen. Let me give you a principle from this truth right here. I believe we need to concentrate our time and energy spreading the gospel to those who are hungry, those who are open, the fields that are wide under harvest. We need to spend our time and energy on those who will listen. Now, the Bible does tell us we have an obligation to share the gospel with every person. But I think this, I think once you've shared the gospel with somebody is cold and hard, you be open in case they ever come back. But it's not our duty to stay there and hound them and go after them when there's so many that are ready now to respond to the Lord at that brokenness where they can come and be healed by him. Um, Taylor and Justin and I have been reading together Tim Keller's new uh, spiritual biography. And it told the story of his romance with the woman that's been his wife for many years, Kathy. Before he met Kathy, he had been dating a girl and his heart got broken. And what happens so many times when you go through a real bad breakup, you're cautious about trying to enter into another relationship. 
But he and Kathy were in InterVarsity, a Christian movement at his campus. They were in that together. They were spending a lot of time together. They just became so close. I mean, they obviously loved each other's company. They would study together, do all their events together. And she wanted more. But because he'd been hurt, he was holding back. So when she realized he's not going to make a move, she began to pull back from him until InterVarsity sent the two of them to go to be a part of a conference and they were staying in someone's home, separate bedrooms, but someone's home. And she didn't want to go because she didn't want to be around him anymore. She'd given up. So she decided to write him a letter before they took off on this trip. So would you like to hear the letter that Kathy wrote to Tim? Look, I can't take this anymore. I've been expected to be promoted from friend to girlfriend. I know you don't mean to be saying this, but every day you don't choose me to be more than a friend. It feels as if I've been weighed and found wanting. It feels as if it's a rejection. So I just can't keep going on the same way, hoping that someday you'll want me to be more than a friend. Now, I'm not calling myself a pearl, and I'm not calling you a pig, but one of the reasons Jesus told his disciples not to cast pearls before swine, because a pig can't recognize the value of a pearl. It would seem just like a pebble. If you can't see me as valuable to you, then I'm not going to keep throwing myself into your company, hoping and hoping. I, I can't do it. So he decided to see her as a pearl. <laughs> his eyes were open. <laughs> but she said, I'm not going to spend time if you don't see me. And so here he says, I, 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 every town I've gone to, I've shared the gospel with my Jewish kinsmen, but when they refuse to hear, refuse to see, I make the conscientious choice, and I'm going to find those who will listen. And so that's what he did. I think the story of the prodigal son is an example for us. Yes, we need to be pleading with every person in our life who's lost But what happened? That young man came and said, I want my inheritance. I want to party. I want to live now. And you know that broke his father's heart. He knew he was making a horrible decision that would end up with a bad result. But he let him go. He didn't walk with him all the way to the far country, every step saying, son, you got to turn around. This is wrong. This is wrong. Not going to work out. He didn't follow him to every party that he threw when he still had money and walk home with him drunk, saying, son, this is not the way to go. you got to wake up. He didn't stay by the pig pen every day pleading with him. Don't stay here now. Come on. He waited until he became, he came to that point where he was listening. And when he came home, then he ran to him. I think that's wisdom for us. We've got to use our time and energy with the fields that Jesus said are white unto harvest. And that's where we, where we should be. Now we come to the last two verses and we have a summary of what he did for these last two years. Two verses for two years. Look here. Paul stayed two whole years in his own rented house and he welcomed all who visited him, proclaiming, and notice two subjects, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now of course he talked about Jesus. He told people Jesus died for our sins, rose again, that putting your faith in him will give you everlasting life. He told everybody the facts about Jesus that determine a person's eternity. But what's interesting to me, it says he was teaching about the kingdom of God and talking about Jesus. Now, there's been a lot of controversy through the years about what is meant by the subject of the kingdom of God. 
In the late 1800s, several of the mainline denominations began to be liberal. By liberal, what I mean is they abandoned the truth of the Bible, the fact that there was a heaven, the fact that there was a hell. They abandoned all the miracles, explained them away. And so what do you replace the real gospel with if you've, if you've abandoned that? They came up with something they called the social gospel. And they said the only reason the church exists is not to get people out of hell or get them to heaven. The only reason the church exists is to bring the kingdom of God here on earth, to make the earth a better place. And they accused us Bible-believing Christians of being too heavenly-minded to be of any earthly good. That, that was wrong. But in reaction, there's also some Christians today who say the only way you should ever use the word kingdom of God is when you're talking about when Jesus comes, sets his foot on the Mount of Olives, sets up his kingdom and reigns for a thousand years. The kingdom of God has nothing to do with us right now. It is only that which will come in the future. Uh, Justin, in his college group, they began to pray as we do the Lord's Prayer. One student who held was in this camp said, you can't use the Lord's Prayer now. That's for the millennium. We only can use the epistles right now. And so there's some who say it's all future. Well, let me share with you that the Bible actually has a more balanced teaching. It speaks of the kingdom of God as being here right now and something that will come fully in the future. Uh, there's a sense in which every time a sinner who's been in rebellion against God comes to the cross bows his knee, puts his faith in Jesus and says, I'm stopping my rebellion. At that moment, the kingdom of God has just grown a little bit. But let me give you a verse that backs that up. In Colossians chapter 1, let me give you the biblical worldview. The, the biblical worldview is there's two camps out here. There's those that live under the rule of the devil. Jesus called the devil in John 12, the prince of this world. They're those who live under the rule of the devil. But when you become a Christian, put your faith in Christ, God picks you up out of the rule of the devil and moves you into the kingdom of his dear son, into the kingdom of God. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves. So when we're praying the Lord's prayer, yes, I'm praying, Lord Jesus, come back. Please hurry. But I'm also praying, Lord, may it be today in this room, that somebody who's been going their way instead of God's will put their faith in Jesus, bow their knee, and make Jesus Lord of their lives. Because when that happens, the kingdom grows a little bit. Now, now let me show you how this backs up. with a, with a, I'm going to go a little bit deeper in how to interpret the Bible. If you're especially familiar with the Psalms, there's a way that the Jews thought. They called this um, the uh, Hebrew parallelism. And many times in the Psalms, they'll say something, and then say it very similarly again. When you put them both together, you get a great insight. I'll give you a couple examples of Hebrew parallelism. Psalms 46, it says this. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. He's basically assuring them you're going to be safe. And he does that with two parallel statements. Do you see that? And with both of them together, you get a richer insight. Here's another one from David's Psalm of Confession after he committed adultery. For I am conscious of my rebellion. Then he restates it. My sin is always before me. Can you see how there are parallel tracks? Two statements that add something. Well, let's go back to the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come. How? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when I'm praying for the kingdom of come, come I am praying for people to stop that. 
Please come to the one who loves you, who died for you. Put your life in his hands. Stop your rebellion. Bow your knee to him. Make him Lord. And then the kingdom of God has come again. Right now, another person has entered the kingdom of God. Now, but there's also, now please listen to this. I don't want to make light of this. There literally will be the coming of Jesus. And he will set up a kingdom. And it's something to long for. Uh, Let me read you a couple of Old Testament passages that talk about this time when Jesus rules and reigns on this earth. Isaiah 11.6, he says, That will be a time when the lion will lay down with the lamb. The lion will lay down with the lamb. By the way, I would recommend now that if you go to a zoo, don't, don't go in the cage yet. Because that's a future promise, okay? This is not the time when the lion lays down with the lamb. That will come. Here's one. I was just watching news this morning about Ukraine and the escalations and all that we could see there. Look at Isaiah 2.6 when it describes this reign of Jesus. He will settle disputes among the nations and provide arbitration for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not take up the sword against nation. They will never again train for war. Don't you long for that? Don't you long for the day when there'll be no more war that we read about, no more war that that they'll take the swords and turn them into plows? Oh, I long for that. The kingdom, my my wife and I, so many times, we're, we're in so much heartache in this world. We're seeing what's going on. We'll just cry, Lord Jesus, come today. (laughs) This is not too early. Go ahead and come. Now, here's what we need to do. Recognizing that this use of the kingdom is something that will happen in two different senses. We ought to be longing for the kingdom of come. I I long for Philippians 2 to be fulfilled when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father because Jesus is too often being mocked today. I was with my grandson yesterday. Uh, He is in a public school in Charlotte. He came up to me and said, Papa, my teacher told me that Jesus is not God. And I said, well, you go and tell him I said he's wrong. (laughs) He's my Lord and my God. So we've got a world that won't acknowledge him. But don't you long to see the day when every knee bows, every tongue confesses that Jesus is Lord. It'll give us so much joy when we see him honored because we love him. I I watched the first half of the Super Bowl because my bedtime happened and I had to go to bed. But I woke up and read about it, and, I, and one of the things that blessed me was both of the quarterbacks for both teams went to the field and knelt and prayed before the game. There's a lot of committed Christians in the NFL. I'm glad of that. Patrick Mahomes was the MVP. His team won. The next morning, there was pictures on several of these news sites that I would go to to find out what went on. And they had a picture of Patrick Mahomes' wife. He'd already been given the trophy, and she was there in his arms looking at him with such pride, with such love. You got to know this about that woman. She didn't play one down on the field. She didn't receive one award that day. But she had as much joy as anybody there because the one she loved was named MVP. And that ought to be the way it is for us. Folks, I long for the kingdom to come. Revelation 21, listen to these words. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes Death will be no more. Grief, 
crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. I think as a pastor, I can sense some of how much hurting is going on. I've already been given two requests to, to check on people. I'm going to this afternoon. I'm going to go to a place to visit someone who is in such incredible pain. And got another call that Dave shared with me about that we've got to contact them. I, folks, this is a hurting world. And I long for the day when the last tear has been wiped away. When the last pain has been felt. When there will be no more funerals. I long for that day. The Lord of the Rings is a symbolic picture of Jesus coming into his kingdom. The return of the kingdom, the third book, is symbolically picturing Jesus coming and becoming the rightful king. At the end of that, there's a great battle. And Sam Ganges, who's one of the three hobbits who've been on the journey, he is knocked unconscious. And when he wakes up, because the battle was going bad when he was knocked unconscious, when he wakes up, he's surprised because Gandalf, his mentor, who had died earlier, was standing alive before him. His friends, who he thought had just died in battle, were alive. And everything had been put right. And this is a quote from Tolkien. Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead. Is everything sad going to come untrue? Is everything sad? going to come untrue. I'm here to tell you because the kingdom is coming, everything sad will come untrue. A person who has a good grasp on what the future hope will be and also how it affects us now is a woman who's a hero, Johnny Erickson Tata, who over 50 years ago dove into shallow water and snapped her neck and has been a quadriplegic, cannot feel below her shoulders since then. Karen and I met with her one time and she was as joyful in private as she is when you see her in public. Let me read you two quotes of hers. Here's the first. I still can hardly believe it. I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, and clothed with righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this brings to someone spinal cord injured like me or someone who is cerebral Palsied. I have a grandson who has cerebral palsy and is severely autistic. He is as happy as anybody can be, but he's going to be whole then. Uh, has been brain injured or multiple sclerosis. Imagine the hope this gives to someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, hearts, and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. There's the kingdom that we're longing for. But let me tell you how it affects. C.S. Lewis said this, only those who are heavenly minded will be of earthly good. With this hope, this is what she says, when Christians realize that their citizenship is in heaven, they begin acting as responsible citizens on earth. They invest wisely in relationships because they know they're eternal. Their conversations, goals, and motives become pure and honest because they realize they will have a bearing on an everlasting reward. They give generously of time, money, and talent because they're laying up treasures for eternity. They spread the good news of Christ because they long to fill heaven's rank with their friends and neighbors. Oh, friends, I want the kingdom of come to God to come today. I want people I love who are walking away from God to turn around and walk toward him and get on their knees and declare Jesus is Lord. 
Wouldn't you love to see it happen today in this place? That someone who came here who's far from God would bow their knee. And I'm going to give you a chance in prayer to do that in just a minute. But I'm telling you what, folks, I'm so longing for when that trumpet sounds, when he comes, when he sets up that kingdom. When the last tear is wiped away, when the swords are turned into plows. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, I pray right now that you'd make yourself known in this room. Friend, if you're here and you've walked away from God, it's time to go home. Would you just bow before him in your heart? Say, Jesus, I trust you. I surrender to you as Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.